This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeper Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson and their keeper pools in perpetuity. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, is my good friend. You all know him as the prima donna of prophecy, the connoisseur of conjecture, the poobah of prognostication, the rotisserie robot, the ad drop ace, and the IPP MVP. Brian Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Welcome back, Elon. Steve Laidlaw was fantastic on our last episode, but I'm so excited to have you back in the host chair so that you can guide us through the show tried and true with the tried and true keeping Carlson formula, which we all know and love so well. Yeah, I was telling Brian off air that uh, he didn't follow our formula exactly. So really astute listeners can try to figure out what I was referring to and what was a little bit different between the last show and this show. But Brian, I'm very excited to go. I was on vacation and I was thinking near the end of it, I was like, you know, what? I really miss making podcasts with Brian Com, And now here I am talking to the listeners of Keeping Carlson about all the stuff that's been going on for like basically two weeks, because I know you and Steve talked about some stuff, but I want I still had some responses. So that's the nice thing about being the host of the show. I get to come back and still bring up the players that you discussed and get your opinions and argue with you. Very excited. So before we get to all of our content, and we've got a lot of it, but I'll mention that we're presented by DauberHockey.com, your top fantasy hockey website out there. I go there literally every day. And I'm not just saying that because they present us. It's like we chose them to present us because we know they're an awesome website and they have great articles every day. You know, all of the player profiles, all of the, the stats, starting goalies, line combinations. I love the daily ramblings. Very useful. If you're playing fantasy, you want to be up to date on what's going on at DauberHockey.com. But with that, Brian, let's get started. Let's start in the injuries and outjuries segment of the show. And the Montreal Canadiens, they were finally getting fully healthy. They had the recent returns of Brendan Gallagher. Now Jonathan Druin played for the first time in a long time yesterday. So, of course, the hockey gods demanded a sacrifice. And now Shea Weber is out with a lower body injury. He's been put on the IR. Maybe he'll be back in a week. We don't know yet. From Claude Julien, he said, The swelling prevents us from having a real diagnosis on his injury. That's what we're waiting for. Once that's down, then you'll be able to examine it a little closer. So that's kind of weird, I guess. They're just waiting for swelling to go down. Then they'll be able to tell us how long Shea Weber will be out. 
In the meantime, Weber owners will definitely be missing his nice hits, shots, and blocks numbers, though, you know, they won't really be missing his production because it's kind of already disappeared, right? He has just three points in 16 games since December 31st. So, Brian, maybe let's start by asking you, what was going on with Shea Weber? Why did he go so cold? He was doing amazingly. I remember like a couple months ago on the show, we were talking about, oh, has this been a huge resurgence for Shea Weber? Is he like a 60-point guy now? Clearly not. Yeah, that was just a blip for Shea Weber. You know, the Habs weren't doing great with Weber on the ice during this cold stretch. They had just 12 goals while Weber was on the ice over 20 games, and he only got in on two of them at five on five, but he was still doing the other things right. He was still shooting nearly three shots on goal per night. It just looked like poor variance for Shea Weber, which is why he went cold before he was injured. He's also had this incredible season that had some favorable variants behind it that put him on his way to a 65-point pace. But the way that Weber's numbers look now, with that super hot start for 30 games and his colder last 20 games, on the whole, Weber looks like a pretty sustainable 55-ish point guy the rest of the way, though I would take the over on that if I had to bet. It's crazy that Weber has only eight power play points, being a power play quarterback in Montreal, which I know tends to run two sort of even units, so you can't say they load up on one, but still Shea Weber alone is enough to make any power play unit the power play one unit, but still just eight power play points on the season, and only one in his last 22 games. Montreal probably doesn't have a top 15 power play in the league, though, and unfortunately for Weber, that is limiting his upside, but still somehow with excellent even strength production, he could still get up to 55 points. Yeah, well, you mean by pace, because now he's injured. And also, I mean, I don't know, maybe the power play with Shea Weber isn't necessarily the best one, because they have another guy who's doing very well. In fact, with Weber out, Jeff Petrie has jumped all over the extra power play minutes, and he had that big one-goal, one-power-play this game versus Anaheim on Thursday. He had no points but four shots, two hits, three blocks yesterday in the 2-1 overtime win over Toronto. When I say yesterday, I mean Saturday. We're recording on Sunday. Uh, so yeah, Jeff Petrie looking very good right now. He's probably owned in all of your leagues, so there's nothing you can do except be like oh I wish I had him or bah too bad I don't have him then we have Ben Sheerod whose minutes have gone up with Weber out including some time on the second power play and it seems like Montreal is now giving the Petrie power play more time I don't know if that has to do with the Weber injury or some other reason uh, Sheerod's pointless in three games but he's got great bangers numbers and maybe now some offensive potential uh, so Brian what do you think Petrie like I said likely not available anywhere but is Sheerod someone that you'd be jumping on now with Weber out Ben Sherrod is no stranger to big minutes. He recently had a run of 12 consecutive games where he saw more than 25 minutes of ice time, even saw 30 minutes on one occasion in that recent span. So this isn't a new thing for Sherrod to have this brand new opportunity with extra minutes. He's been in this role before. And even then, he's been a stream through the year and only in bangers formats because of the block and hit potential that he carries. I wouldn't say Sherrod is a monster there, even in those peripherals categories though he's a top 20 in defenseman hits top 50 in defenseman blocks per 60 minutes so those are good numbers but not elite he has some big games where he can turn a category with eight hits or five blocks and Sherratt's peripherals floor is because of that is pretty decent right so you can stream him in get some hits get some blocks uh, but I'm not seeing much offensive potential from Sherratt though uh, he's on pace for 25 points which would beat his previous high watermark of 20 points in 78 games last year I think of him as maybe like an Orlov type where we see him get some points just by exposure every so often because he's playing so many minutes and we know we can rely on him for those peripherals but I'm not about to start thinking he can start putting up points points. 
All right, that's fair. I mean, he'll maybe have a chance for one or two extra power play points while Weber is out. But yeah, nothing too crazy. And we'll see. It is the second power play. Uh, then, like I mentioned, Jonathan Drouin is back with the team in his first game back. No points, only one shot, and he only played 11 minutes and 49 seconds in his return versus the Leafs. Probably just being eased in, right? Like, Brian, what are you expecting moving forward for Jonathan Drouin, who had 15 points in 18 games before the game where he got hurt? So he was on an amazing run. Now we have to see if he can keep it up coming back from injury. And also, I'd like to know... Does this mean that maybe Max Domi deserves a stay of execution on our fantasy teams before everyone starts dropping him? Because he's been terrible lately. Only three points in his last 13 games. But hey, he's been playing with Juan. Actually, it was a line in yesterday's game. Juan, Domi, and Lekkonen. And then Armia was playing with Kovalchuk and Suzuki. And then, of course, Deneau, Tatar, and Gallagher on the top line. So yeah, do people have to hold on to Max Domi right now just because he has a brand new line mate who was on such a roll at the start of the year? Well, let me start with Jonathan Drouin, because that's a big piece of this puzzle for Domi. If you're saying, oh, is Drouin's return worth holding Domi for? And Jonathan Drouin, I'm sorry to say, I'm still not quite a believer in him being this stud that we once thought he was. Remember the days when he was holding out in Tampa and he wouldn't play and they wouldn't call him up or like there was it got super messy, ended up being traded to Montreal. And we were like, okay, here we go. But still, even with the super promising start to his season, I'm not seeing a whole lot of reason to believe that Durant is that 15 point in 18 games player that he started as. To me, Durant still looks like a 55 point player, maybe 60. Part of that is because of his own numbers. Durant hasn't really improved anywhere over last season, but he did start the year by scoring at a 20% rate at five on five compared to his usual shooting percentage of like just less than 10%. So that's more than double what we're used to seeing him score on uh, the number of shots he takes. And the other piece of why I think Durant is still definitely a sub-60 guy, maybe just a 55-point guy, is what we talked about last week with Steve Laidlaw. These are the Montreal Bic pens, right? It's a very horizontal landscape. There's not a whole lot of upside in that Montreal team because they are just so well-balanced up front. It's barely an opportunity for any one player to step up and be like a 70-point player. Although, part of that is because I don't think there is really a 70-point player amongst the group, Drouin included. And then you also asked me about Max Domi, who I guess I'd hold, but of course nothing's guaranteed. And the only reason I guess I would is because the last time I was like, oh yeah, let's get rid of him, uh, he snapped out of a huge cold streak with a huge hot streak where he picked up 13 points in his next 11 games. And I don't personally have much tolerance for guys who run this hot and cold. And that's why I'm not really excited to hold on to him just because Duran's coming back. And Looking at the numbers, Domi actually hasn't been markedly better with Druin than without. There's no difference in his numbers uh, just because he's playing with Druin versus the other guys he's played with. You can hold out hope that Domi and Druin have some special chemistry that isn't showing up in their underlying numbers, but um, I'll say again, Druin's return guarantees nothing for Max Domi. So if I owned him, I'd be looking to stream him if I had better options available uh, or even like part-time better options. A short-term ad that could help me, especially if I'm in a tight standings race. Elon, you're a Domi owner in a tight standings race. What are you going to do with him? 
Yeah, so here's what I'm thinking. Montreal has a good schedule next week. They go Monday, fr- Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. So I'm holding my Habs for at least one more week. I've got Deneau also, who's a bit cold. So I'll hold Deneau, I'll hold Domi, and then I'm going to hope that something happens. But yeah, Max Domi is definitely on a short leash on my roster right now, especially if it's on a busy Saturday where he might not even get into my lineup. He didn't get into my lineup last Saturday. I sat him, and it was the right choice because he did nothing like he's been doing for a bunch of games lately. So yeah, he's definitely... I'm watching you, Max Domi. You better do something soon, or you're going to find yourself in free agency in tier one Sweden of the couple. Uh, one Habs player that I have been enjoying very much lately is Carey Price. Holy cow, Brian, how spot on. Remember when we did that episode where we ranked the goalies right before the All-Star break and I I made a reach there. I said, you know what? I know Carey Price hasn't been good, but I'm still going to rank him super high. I had to use my medallion of power to do it. I put him at 12th overall. You know what? Maybe I should have put him even higher because over the last month, Price has played 10 games, is 8-2 with a 9.50 save percentage. What a guy. And the thing is, he did this last year too. So I don't know. Maybe this is a Carey Price thing, something we could remember. Who knows? Like now he'll probably fall apart before the year's over because that's how goalies go. But something to remember for next year that if Price starts slow or has a slow stretch, he definitely has the ability to turn it on like he's doing right now. There's only two goalies in the last month, let's say since the start of January, that have a higher save percentage than Carey Price. Want to try to guess who they are? Well, one is definitely Elvis Merzlikens, right? Yeah, of course. Okay, and then the other... Well, I'd say Linus Allmark, but he's been injured. I don't know if he qualifies. Uh, Well, Linus Allmark, uh, I'm seeing a 9.39 save percentage in the last five games he played, which covers the, whatever, since January 1st. So no, uh, not him. Very good, but not 950 good. The answer is actually Tuka Rask, and these are numbers before today's game. Rask got in in the last minute against Detroit, and he led in, I guess, two goals in a loss, so not too bad. Uh, 962 save percentage for him, also, though, in fewer games, in only five games, compared to Merzlikens 9 and Carey Price 10. So those are your hottest goalies currently, though Mackenzie Blackwood definitely creeping up with his two shutouts over the past couple of days, but uh, we'll get to all these guys later. Uh, for now, now, just wanted to throw it out there. I'm not going to ask you a question about him because who knows? How can you predict this stuff? But Carey Price right now is dialed in. Uh, so let's go to another Canadian team for another injury. I want to talk about Mark Giordano, who's now week to week with a lower body injury. Giordano was on a huge roll before getting hurt. He had six assists in his last five games. I actually had him in the cupful, and it was the trade deadline, and Giordano had gotten injured, and I got an offer. I flipped him for Eric Carlson, of all people. Uh, and this was after I heard the injury news. Joe's team, and by the way, Joe, who was really great on the latest episode of The Stat Attack, people should definitely check it out, where he was talking about how he is a professional daily fantasy hockey player. It was really interesting to hear his take. So he knows what he's doing. Clearly, he thinks Mark Giordano is worth getting, even for Eric Carlson. It makes sense. You look at the season numbers in our league where we count different peripherals. Giordano, you know, better offensively right now and also obviously gives you all the hits and blocks and shots. But of course, now he's injured. So we'll see how that works out. With Giordano out though for the Calgary Flames, looks like Noah Hannafin has jumped up to take his spot on the top power play. And hey, Hannafin picked up an assist yesterday in the 6-2 win over the Canucks. It wasn't on the power play. Uh, So Brian, is there anything here? Like Hannafin, it's been pretty boring most of the year. Only 15 points in 56 games for the former fifth overall pick. But do you think maybe he'll make something of this increased role. We've got at least a couple weeks, probably, of him helming that top power play, unless he loses the spot. But Giordano's going to be out a little while. Noah Hennepin was on my radar not so long ago because he'd picked up five points in 10 games, had some nice block numbers, a couple hits and a couple shots per game. But then Hennepin went back to doing nothing, which was exactly what he'd been doing before this little stretch of 10 games where he did stuff. Uh, It was kind of surprising that Hennepin had been doing nothing so often this season, kind of. Like we'd given up on Hennepin being 
a defenseman with any really high upside, but he'd at least approached 35 points the last two seasons. And this year, Hannafin's barely pacing for 20 points, and that just marks him as another of the many victims of the Flames just totally kind of sucking this year on offense. Hannafin is snake bit a little more than would be expected because of some low on-ice shooting percentage, low IPP, but not in a way that really shaves a ton off what his value should be, should have been expected to be. So, you know, maybe he changes from a 31-point player to a 26-point player. It's not a really meaningful drop. It's not like he should be the super productive guy. Uh, I'm a Giordano owner, okay? And when looking to replace Giordano, I considered Hannafin for, like, three seconds. Because uh, I looked at Giordano's numbers, and I saw that Giordano himself had just 10 power play points in 54 games, 27 points on the season. And I didn't feel like Hannafin is going to do a whole lot better because I don't think Calgary is suddenly going to jump their offense up to last year's levels. I've finally given up on that happening. So all that said, Hannafin is an okay depth option if you're really searching for defense, but I'd rather get one less game out of a higher upside forward versus getting Hannafin into my lineup on every busy night there is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you're saying that just because you might think you need defensemen, better to not take Hannafin, take a forward who plays less. Okay, how about uh, compared to Sherratt, who uh, we were talking about before over on Montreal, who would you take of the two? I guess I'll take Hannafin for the points upside in case I am wrong and he is able to collect some meaningful points on the power play. But if blocks and hits are really valuable in your format or those are the categories you need to chase, definitely Sherratt. Okay, yeah. So maybe we'll keep a ranking going here. We can just consider the couple where you get more points for offense, but still some points for your hits and blocks that come along with the points. Uh, okay, another interesting thing from yesterday's game in Calgary is that Jeff Ward reunited last year's killer top line of Elias Lindholm, Johnny Gaudreau, and Sean Monahan. It's like, uh, it's kind of weird that they haven't played together, right? They did so well last year, and for some reason, they just weren't getting a shot again, but they finally did. And hey, they all produced. Monahan scored a goal. Gaudreau had a couple assists. Lindholm grabbed an apple. Uh, gotta be exciting for Elias Lindholm owners who have already been getting a decent enough season from him, right? Like 42 points in 56 games. It's like a 62 or so point pace. Of course, it'll only take one loss for the Lions to likely get shaken up again. Like Calgary has been just having a whole slew of players playing with Johnny and Monty. But right now it's Lindholm. And if he could stay there, and obviously he's been on the top power play, this is definitely someone that maybe is going to have a stronger finish to the season. Though, or like, maybe not, right? Because I should point out that playing with especially Monty, Sean Monty, Monahan hasn't been very money lately, right? He's been especially boring, only three goals and no assists in his last nine games. So as part of your Lindholm answer, maybe you can check out if Monahan owners should be freaking out or not. Like, I, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out the flames here. It's very hard because all these players are supposed to be great. The lines are weird. No one's producing. I guess Gaudreau's doing well now. Now Giordano's injured. So it seems like kind of a mess, but someone's got to be good. Yeah, but I don't think anyone is going to be as good as they were last year. Let's yeah. Circle back to Elias Lindholm for a second, who is getting back on the top line 25 games after the last shot he had there. And I mean, why not? Would you believe, Elon, that Calgary ranks 28th in the whole NHL in five-on-five goals per 60 minutes this season? There are only three teams behind them, Dallas, LA, and Detroit, which means, yes, Calgary is behind Ottawa in even-strength goals scored per 60 minutes. 
So again, why not? Why wouldn't the Flames try Lindholm back on the top line? I'm not saying that I believe this is really going to get things going for the Flames or for Lindholm, but I am kind of flummoxed as to why the Flames waited so long before trying this trio again. They lit the league on fire last year, and the Flames just refused to play them together for over a quarter of a season. I feel like the Flames just now are looking at the standings. They see they're in a six-way battle royale for one of two wild card spots, and they're like, uh, okay, maybe we should try and get some offense going now. And Monaghan, uh, similar story. Every Flames owner should be freaking out right now. Even if Calgary was getting about what they deserved for goal production, rather than being kneecapped by a 29th ranked shooting percentage, they'd still just be a middling offensive team, which is not what Johnny, Monty, and Lindholm and Giordano owners signed up for when they drafted those guys. I should know I drafted three of them this year. I thought it was in the money and, uh, no money from money so far this year. Monaghan, like the others, though, has deserved better than he's gotten, but still not as much as he got in last year's crazy successful season. I think Monaghan is more likely to be the 70-point guy he was two years ago than the 86-point guy he was last year. So we just need to adjust our expectations again for these Flames from being as good as they were last year back to being as good as they were two years ago. Yeah, that makes sense. And Giordano was the only one that was really like overperforming recently and now he's hurt. So big bummer. Uh, Let's switch to the Flames opponent yesterday who I guess have also been a little bit of a bummer lately, at least in yesterday's games because they got creamed by these middling Calgary Flames. Uh, But even worse was that Brock Besser suffered an upper body injury in the third period and did not return. Uh, Like Weber, maybe his owners aren't especially sad to stash him right now because Besser's also been slumping lately. He only has two assists in his last 11 games. Uh, according to Travis Green, he's going to be out for... Well, he said he doesn't know how long. Then I think news came out afterwards that it's going to be at least two games that he's going to be out. And Calgary plays Monday, Wednesday, and Sunday next week. So maybe by next Sunday, Besser will be back. In the meantime, I guess this means Jake Vertanen will likely get back on the Pedersen-Miller line and is maybe worth grabbing again. Like, he was there for a while. Then Besser got back and Jake Vertanen disappeared quickly. He's pointless in five. But, so that just means he's probably available and hey like i said canucks play monday wednesday sunday so at least for monday wednesday that might be a pretty good stream grab jake for tannin if he's available also looks like tanner pearson got some extra power play time yesterday so watch maybe he's the guy that's going to take besser's top power play spot he's also been a bit cold lately he scored yesterday and i'd definitely be interested in grabbing tanner pearson if he's going to stick on his line with horvat and also play on the top power play i'd take him over vertanen that's for sure you would take Pearson over Vertanen, which means you're preferring top power play deployment ahead of top line deployment. Well, it's not that simple, right? Because Tanner Pearson plays on the line with Bo Horvat, which is a very good line itself. So I'm taking top power play and a good line. Okay. L2 PP1 over L1 PP2 or 0 for Vertanen. I mean, Vertanen has been super streaky, right? I feel like we've talked about him being successful an an awful lot, but he's been on for five games, off for five games, on for five games, off for five games. And I'll wash this out to a guy who's been hit or miss even when in great deployment. And also, Vertanen saw his minutes drop below 13 minutes a night for a couple games. You could definitely add him for like Monday and Wednesday hoping for a hit, but he's not someone that would be stubbornly holding on to or feverishly reaching out for because I think Vertanen is destined for success on the top line. So Elon, I'm with you. Pearson is probably worth a little bit more, which isn't saying a whole lot, but it's saying something. Yeah, I mean, hey, 
I'm looking at a couple games here while Brock Besser is out, kind of like with the Flames, right? And with Sean Monaghan, like Besser has not been what people expected from him when they drafted him, especially lately. Like I said, huge cold streak. Hopefully he takes his little vacation, gets his head right, and he comes back fully healthy and ready to have a strong end to the season. And then we won't have to talk about Jake Vertanen anymore for the rest of the year. By the way, since we're on the Flames, is Alex Edler, like he's basically done right now, right? As an offensive contributor, now that Quinn Hughes and Tyler Myers have taken all of Edler's second power play time and top power play time. Like I kind maybe actually Edler gets onto the second power play in the short term in Tanner Pearson's spot since Pearson goes to the top power play. I think that's what happened in the last game. But still, man, Edler, only two points in his last 15 games. Sure, he hits and he blocks, but like so do a lot of defensemen. Like people are talking about him like, yeah, you got to hold Edler because of his peripherals. If you take away the offense, a bunch of guys, Ben Sherratt has a bunch of peripherals, right? Like I feel like maybe Edler and Sherratt should just be in the same conversation right now, especially with Weber out and Sherratt actually getting some power play time, unlike Edler has been getting. So I don't know. I'm pretty over uh, Alex Edler right now, to be honest. I see the point you're trying to make, and it's something we did talk about on last week's show with Steve Laidlaw, where we agreed that with the emergence of Quinn Hughes, Edler's days of power play driven offensive numbers are likely behind him. Edler did have that great start to the season because of power play production that was not going to stick once he lost his role, and it hasn't. And his five on five production, which by the way has not at all fallen off compared to a lot previous seasons, that five on five production still just isn't enough to be fantasy relevant in points leagues. So Edler's peripherals are still pretty good, and he has a better shot still, I think, than Shirat of getting points on any given night. So if I'm choosing between the two, you're basically saying, okay, do I want maybe a slightly higher peripherals floor from Sherratt or a better chance at a point from Edler? That's the choice you're making. Yeah, and I don't even know if you're actually getting much of a better chance of a point from Edler than Sherratt at this point. So yeah, we'll see. I just want to let people know that if you have Alex Edler in your lineup and you just like, you know, sometimes you just look at your team and you're like, you have certain players like, I don't care how badly they're doing this guy. I'm not going to drop him. I think Edler shouldn't be in that conversation anymore. And he would have been for me before like a guy like obviously I'm not going to drop him. He must just be cold. I, I don't think these points are necessarily coming back. Maybe a little bit. Not too much. Uh, okay, another injury here. Auntie Ranta. What the heck? Auntie Ranta. Late scratch yesterday with a lower body injury. Like, he's already so frustrating with his injuries, but these, like, late scratches are the worst because people may have added him specifically for that game just for him not to play. Aiden Hill got the start versus Boston. He was okay, I guess. It was a 4-2 loss. Hill uh, led in three goals on 32 shots. The good news for Arizona, apparently Darcy Kemper practiced today. He's going to be a game time decision tomorrow for the Coyotes. So who knows? Maybe Kemper is back. I'm really interested to see what Darcy Kemper is going to do. Is he going to keep going with the amazing season he's been putting up? Or is he going to be rusty? Uh, what, what do you think, Brian? Obviously, there's no way to know. But what, what are your thoughts right now on the Coyotes net? I think they are desperate for Darcy Kemper to come back and be ready. It's really strange that they're calling him a game time decision. He's been out for two months. And like, okay, we're going to decide 30 minutes before puck drop. After two months of recovery and rehab, we're going to leave it up to that moment, which seems a little reckless, although I think they actually did say that they're going to decide how how he feels in the morning after having practiced today. So it's more like a game day decision. I just hope they take their time and do this right, because Arizona does not want to have two goalies who cannot be relied on to stay healthy. Auntie Ranta, my goodness. Someone a year ago posted on the Reddit for for fantasy hockey, the subreddit, this video of like Kyle and South Park. It's this scene where, you know, it's like, I don't know, they, they overdubbed it with these captions about it's okay, it's safe to start Ranta, and then the last second, it's bad, and then Kyle is out of options. It's like, an I don't know the scene. It would have been helpful if I did before I yeah, told right, the it's story. A, it's, it's a repost, actually. Yeah, that, that, that's like from last year, but that just goes to show that uh, this story has that's been... That's what I said. Oh, it was okay. posted 
last year and someone tweeted at us today and i'm like oh yeah this is posted one year ago and it's the same old story which is so sad because ranta has upside as for aiden hill pretty meh option i think the coyotes want to rely on their goalies to get the wins and aiden hill i don't think is quite up to that level though he's is on a tight defensive team has a decent save percentage this year 918 57 percent quality start so he's a decent option to start he's just not as good an option as kemper or in my opinion a healthy ranta yeah, I mean, so obviously tomorrow, if you're listening to this podcast and you want to stream in a goalie, and if it turns out Kemper's not playing, sure, you can play Aiden Hill. But obviously, Kemper's coming back soon. So you're not expecting Aiden Hill to be worth anything in the very short term. And Dar- uh, yeah, and uh, Auntie Rata, basically like uh, McCall Neuverth or coming close to it. Like, he seems like he's probably good, but if he can't stay healthy, then what's the point, right? Okay. And the Coyotes, by the way, have been messing with their power play. Uh, Oliver Ekman Larson has been out. I don't know if that's the reason. But uh, yesterday, Phil Kessel was off the top power play uh and nick schmaltz was there instead so we had dvorak garland hall schmaltz and jordan osterley on the top power play i guess and then keller kessel soderberg chikrin and goligoski on the second power play so if this holds then along with dvorak and garland maybe you should start looking at nick schmaltz as someone worth uh, considering in deeper leagues obviously i like uh garland and dvorak more if they're gonna be playing with taylor hall also at even strength but i don't know another name to throw out there or maybe we just should assume that Phil Kessel's obviously going to get back on the top power play soon because, like, holy cow, how can you, like, how bad is Kessel that he can't even crack the top power play on the Arizona Coyotes? Well, I don't assume necessarily that Arizona has a clear power play one and power play two. I guess you're saying whichever one Hall is on is the top power play. Uh, as for how to consider Nick Schmaltz, I'm frustrated that his name is Schmaltz because the way I feel about him is the way that I'd say if it was, uh, Taylor Hall, I'd say Hall Schmall, but that doesn't work for Schmaltz Schmaltz. I guess I could say Schmick Schmaltz. I'm feeling the way about Coyotes the way that I do about Dallas Stars this season, which is I'll give them all the look when their schedule seems positive for my upcoming week, but then I will let out a heavy sigh and wish I had other options available. I don't assume Schmaltz changes power plays, nor, like I said, do I even assume Arizona has a power play one or power play two. What I do assume is that these depth coyotes, which is like the whole team, will only ever put up meaningful production on an irregular basis at best, and it will always happen on 100% of the nights I choose not to stream them into my lineup. Right. Okay. And by the way, uh, for the power plays, Brian, I'm going with the one that gets the most ice time. I think generally that's considered the top power play. But yeah, I guess it yeah, but it's, every once in a while. it's been pretty close lately. Okay, yeah, that's fair. And actually, someone else I'm really excited about on the Coyotes who's been on, I guess, my version of the second power play is Jacob Chikrin. Holy cow, I think maybe it's time for people to jump on him if he's available in free agency. He's got points in three straight games. He had eight shots versus the Bruins yesterday. Uh, he also hits and blocks. Uh, where would you rank Jacob Chikrin along with the Edlers and Sharats of the world? I think I might have Chikrin number one at the moment. I think I would too. I mean, generally, my thoughts on Shikrin are similar to the rest of the Arizona forward core that I just illustrated, but Shikrin does appeal just a little more, especially when he did have that eye-catching eight-shot game, which it feels like there's no other Arizona blue liner or player, aside from Taylor Hall, with that kind of potential on any given night. Shikrin did have no shots on goal before that eight-shot game, uh, but before that game, he had 15 shots over four nights, which is great. I'd actually love to see Shikrin get another shot at running the top power play, even with a healthy Oliver Ekman Larson around, which is funny. At the start of the year, it's like, let's see what Ekman Larson can do there. Like, put him back. We don't know why he got pulled away. Shikrin's not doing anything. Now I'm officially very much 
all the way over Ekman Larson. Let's give the reins to Shikran. Let him be the offensive blue liner in Arizona, because I think he has the best upside of anyone there, which, of course, still doesn't say much for what his ceiling could be, given the brand of hockey that the Yotes play, but it's still a reason to consider adding him to your fantasy roster. Yeah, even if he could be like a 45-point guy like Oliver Ekman Larson has been for the last few years, but he takes more shots and he has peripherals, that's very valuable in most fantasy leagues. By the way, Brian, I'm not going to let you get away with so much Coyote slander. Like, we do have to mention that Connor Garland has definitely been amazing and worth owning his 10 points in his last 10 games. Hall with Hall, top line, top power play. So I'm not going to, ca- I don't think you should count him with your like coyotes are boring and I don't want them. I mean, Connor Garland is periodically boring, which is a, a, re- a real upgrade over the rest of them. They are pretty bad though, right? Like they're definitely bottom third of the league in offense per 60 minutes and their goals scored, their shots taken, everything. They're just not a great offensive team. But I hear you. I, I like that you're looking for the bright spots. We love Arizona. Also, Brian, I feel like still, I think this happened before, like, uh, when you're looking at, oh, they're the bottom of, uh, in this ranking, in this ranking, I'd love to know the rankings just since they got Taylor Hall, because I'm pretty sure they're higher uh, since then than they were before, and the the pre-Hall days are taking all these numbers down. I think they're more like middle of the pack for offense since they got Hall like a month and a half ago. Yes, they are, but we also talked about how... That might be because they don't have Darcy Kemper to rely on and that they opened up their offensive game because Kemper was injured and they couldn't just like score a goal and have him lock it down the way they were doing before. So I'll be curious to see if their strategy shifts back the other way once Kemper returns. All in all, Elon, I think Arizona could be a mid-pack offensive team, but that's probably their ceiling. That is fair. Okay, enough Arizona Coyotes talk. I'm sorry. Let's go to a more boring team than for offense. Uh, let's talk about the Detroit Red Wings. Brian, so I've been on vacation for the last couple of weeks. And we always have like a go-to show that we're watching when we're in the hotel. Ours this time was Billy on the Street, this show I'd never watched before. It's not available on Canadian Netflix for some very annoying reason, but I found it in America and it was so, so great. So in honor of that show, Billy on the Street, I want to play a game with you, Brian, called The Detroit Red Wings Are Finally Getting Healthy, But Do We Care? And in this game, I'm going to tell you the names of Detroit Red Wings players that are finally or soon to be healthy, and then you need to tell me if you care. If you care that the Detroit Red Wing player is healthy, you say, I care. If you don't care that the player is healthy, you say, I don't care. Do you understand? I understand. Okay, here we go. The Detroit Red Wings are healthy, but do we care? And away. We. Go. Andreas Athanasiu. So actually, this whole game kind of gets ruined because a lot of what I was going to talk about had to do with the fact that Andreas Athanasiu was playing on the third line and not on the top line or top power play. But unfortunately, Robbie Fabry got hurt today in the game versus Boston. So I think things have changed. Before today, Andreas Athanasiu had come back and fallen right to the bottom six and second power play, was doing nothing, pointless in three games uh, going into today. But he uh, got two goals today. So maybe that changes. So Brian... With these two goals now and Fabry hurt, do you care that Andreas Athanasiu was healthy? I cared once upon a time when he just recently, freshly was healthy, and then I dropped him and stopped caring. And then, of course, Athanasiu scored this power play goal and an empty netter, which is, of course, really cool and great. But just like Arizona, I'm going to spoil my general thoughts. And Calgary. This is the show where we talk about teams with low offensive potential, I guess. Uh, My general thoughts on all these guys are going to bring up to me. Detroit just does not score enough to make me really care about any 
of their players. And so even though I dropped Athanasiu and he finally stepped up, I'm actually not having any FOMO about it or rushing to get him back. I like him on the top power play, and I like that he had a six-shot game, and today he had a four-shot game, but it's just really limiting to be Detroit Red Wing these days. So that keeps him to being a depth add, even though one day on a better and deeper team, I still believe Athanasiu should be good enough to be owned in like all formats. I just don't know that that time is now. Okay, yeah, that's maybe worth a look now, actually, with Fabry injured, though uh, Anthony Mantha's going to be back soon, so maybe there'll only be a game or two of Athanasiu on the top line if he gets there. The one thing we've learned about Athanasiu is no matter who's healthy and who's hurt, they always find a way to put him in the bottom six eventually. Uh, Next, Mike Green. He has eight points in 42 games on the season going into today. At the start of the season, he was blocking like a champ, but that's dried up. Uh, But he was on the top power play today. So Mike Green, Brian, is finally healthy. Do you care? I don't care. I've been there, done that with Mike Green. He's down in all his production numbers and his variance is also down, but I don't care because his actual numbers that he can control are also falling. I think Mike Green is okay for a stream if he does stay on the top power play, but it was weird to see him there and I'm not sure he'll last seeing as he'd probably spent fewer than 10 games there all season long, maybe even fewer than five games on the top power play so far for Mike Green. I wonder, Elon, if this is just a little showcase spot for Mike Green to eventually be traded. This is the last year on his contract. He has a modified no trade that gives him a 10-team no trade list. I actually asked Short Shift Lewis before the show was on, why am I not hearing uh, Mike Green's name in the rumor mill? And his answer was essentially, no one cares about Mike Green. He's just fallen off so much. Maybe his contract is prorated the rest of the season, of course, but it's over $5 million for the full year. Maybe someone can acquire a similar or better piece for cheaper. Yeah, makes sense. And Mike Green, definitely the correct answer is, I don't care. Okay, next. Jonathan Bernier. He's been back for over a week now. He had three games before today uh, versus Boston. He had one, two, and three goals against versus the Rangers, Philly, and Buffalo. So not bad. Uh, Bernier actually has a very respectable 909 save percentage on the season. Seems to be going up. Another big game today. A win over the Bruins where he stopped 39 of 40 shots. So Brian, Jonathan Bernier is not only healthy, but he's also doing really well even on this crappy team. So do you care about Jonathan Bernier? I care about Jonathan Bernier a a little. Elon, I pumped him up on last week's episode as a good volume starter. And I also referenced how he's got like a 42% quality start percentage this season. But in his last 12 games, he's been like, uh, he's only blown a few starts of those, which is more reliability from Jonathan Bernier than we're used to seeing Always a poor chance at a win because he's in Detroit and he'll face a lot of pucks, which is great. So maybe that outweighs the, the, the risk benefit works out for you so long as you don't mind the possibility that he will bring down your save percentage. So you got to figure out what categories are of value to you. Lots of saves, few wins and toss up for save percentage. Okay. That's fair. Wow. Brian, you used to hate Jonathan Bernier so, so much, but I guess he's turning around for you. You think I used to hate him so, so much. I recall in the almanac that you wanted to put Calvin Picard over Jonathan Vernier in our goalie (laughs) ranking. That's true. But in NHL 12, I had him take my LA Kings franchise all the way for like 10 years. He was the MVP. He got the Conn Smythe every single year. Why were you the LA Kings? I don't know. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Next, Anthony Mantha. Turns out he's been out with a punctured lung and rib injury. 
Uh, wow. Okay. Well, glad that he's feeling better and he's actually expected to be back as soon as Tuesday, the next game for Detroit. Uh, 24 points in 29 games on the year. So Mantha's been really great. And really, it's actually 28 games since he got injured and only played in three minutes in one of those games. So near point per game. In his four games, though, before going back on the shelf in December, remember he had that short stint, he only had three shots and one assist. So he didn't look right. Uh, what do you think, Brian? Once Anthony Mantha comes back, will you care? I care deeply about this one. Yeah, not just for the impact that Mantha can have for his owners, but maybe for what he can also do to help Dylan Larkin uh, not start something from scratch, but just keep him rolling. Because uh, Larkin, I'm going to change gears and talk about him for a second. Larkin does not look like he needs a whole lot of help these days. Dylan Larkin has somehow gathered 17 points now in his last 18 games, which is by far, by far, his best and longest stretch of the season, collecting nearly three shots per game during this time. And Mantha coming back is probably a good thing for Larkin being able to continue that kind of production. Mantha himself, in the meantime, I expect him to pick up just about where he left off. He was pacing for 68 points before he went on the shelf, and I think he can probably keep pacing for nearly that many points the rest of the way if he is truly healthy and back up to speed, which may take a game or two to get to. Of course, a 60 or 65-point pace would be a safer bet for Mantha, but he is the real deal, and it's exciting that he's finally about to return, hopefully for good this time, and not just coming back, uh, skating around for four games, and going back to the injured reserve. I'm very caring about Anthony Mantha. (laughs) Yes, that's the correct answer, and here's a bonus one. He's been healthy all year, but lately Tyler Bertuzzi hasn't been playing like it. He only has one goal in his last six games. That was actually going into today. I believe he did have a power play assist today, so good for Tyler Bertuzzi. Still, he had been bumped from the Larkin line, though maybe that changes when Mantha's back and now with Fabry injured. Uh, So he has a 53-point pace on the season, but it's been going down lately. Brian, if Tyler Bertuzzi was in your free agency, would you care? So I have to only say I care or I don't care? I guess so, yeah. Actually, I don't care anymore. Oh, you don't care. So I, I, I conditionally care about Tyler Bertuzzi. Let's see if he lands with Larkin and or Mantha. Fabry being out, as you said, maybe an opportunity for Tyler Bertuzzi. Remember that this trio of Bertuzzi, Larkin, and Mantha was pretty good together to start the year. So if the Red Wings can put the band back together, I absolutely care about Tyler Bertuzzi. If not, I don't really care. Yeah, these Red Wings, the one thing that I keep in my mind is that at the end of last year, they really got rolling and like Heronic and then Mantha, Bertuzzi and Larkin were all like crushing it. So I think like it's possible it could happen again, but I agree with you. It's hard to care too much at the moment. So Brian, you did it. You won. The Detroit Red Wings are getting healthy. Do you care? And your prize is these eye drops. Look at that. Wow. For any patrons who are lucky enough to be watching this live recording, Elon legitimately held up a box of eye... Why do you have eye drops? Uh, Just if you're... Brian, this is your prize. And if your (laughs) eyes are ever dry... You don't wear glasses. Congratulations, Brian. (laughs) And we'll be right back. (laughs) So, okay. That was the game. And with that, Brian, before we go to our next piece of content, I really enjoyed how you talked up our fun Patreon program on Patreon on the last episode. So why don't I hand it to you to uh, thank our wonderful patrons, which, by the way, I also share Brian's gratitude. Thank you so much for all your support throughout the season. Right. Yes. So you can support Keeping Carlson by becoming a patron of the show. If you're not familiar with it, patrons are the reason that we are into our sixth season of Keeping Carlson. And if you support us by throwing us five bucks a month, you're not only going to be helping us keep putting out the four Sunday shows and eight short shift episodes that you already get, 
but you're also going to get some bonus content that we don't release to the masses. You're going to get an extra Saturday morning episode helping you decide who to sit and start on the busy night. You're going to get an extra patron cast a month where Elon and I talk about anything and everything under the sun. You get an invite, of course, to our exclusive Keeping Carlson Patrons Only Facebook group from whence you may watch this live recording of our show. I don't know if I use the word whence right there. Uh, you'll get access to our show notes. So if you don't want to listen through, you can take a quick peek at what players we talked about and what we had to say about them. It's like our show script and uh, so much more. So if you've enjoyed the show and what we do, please help us keep it going by going to patreon.com slash keeping Carlson and you'll get all those perks as our thanks and a special thanks to our latest patrons who joined us this week welcome mark alicia and katie we're so happy to have you again support us get the perks at patreon.com slash keeping carlson great job brian and thank you yes to the patrons by the way speaking of the patron cast we're doing it in two days on tuesday brian we haven't announced it yet to the patrons but yeah i'll post it after we're done recording and that'll be a lot of fun so sign up to be a patron and then post your questions and brian and i will tackle anything that you ask for us on tuesday 8 30 p.m eastern time okay and then we release the recorded version afterwards of course okay so brian that's injuries and outries let's go over to the trades section of the show we've got one trade to discuss this week the toronto maple leafs acquired jack campbell and kyle clifford from the la kings for trevor Moore, who actually just scored a couple seconds ago versus Igor Shostyorkin and the Rangers. So congratulations, Trevor Moore, for your first goal as an LA King. Uh, they also got a couple of picks. That was the trade. This was, of course, on the heels of Frederick Anderson going down with a neck injury and Michael Hutchinson just being a terrible goalie. Uh, Anderson has been skating with the Leafs, but there's no definitive update yet on if he'll be back next week or not. And in the meantime, Jack Campbell has now played two games with the Leafs so far on Friday versus Anaheim and Saturday versus the Montreal Canadiens. Not the best debut for Campbell on Friday. He led in four goals on 30 shots, but he still picked up the win 5-4 over the Ducks. But Campbell then was great yesterday. He led in two goals and one of them was an overtime goal. So we were all on account. And it was an overtime goal again against Ilya Kovalchuk. So come on, no goalie's going to stop that. Uh, overall, though, great game for Jack Campbell. You had a tweet thread, Brian, right after the trade, basically saying, and I'll try to summarize, then you could add or remove if I get anything wrong here, but you were saying that you think he's going to be good for wins when he plays. He's worth owning while Anderson is hurt, of course, but I, I don't, like, what do you think in terms of, is he actually a good goalie? Uh, do you expect him to put up a decent save percentage? Is he someone people should be rushing to add now that we know that this Frederick Anderson injury isn't serious? The main takeaway from my tweet thread was the answer to that question, Elon, is that Toronto doesn't have their defensive game together really any more than LA does, at least lately. So anyone thinking that Jack Campbell was getting screwed by playing behind a poor LA defense and that his save percentage is bound to improve just because he's going to be playing behind a defensively tighter team... Toronto isn't so different from LA and how well they protect their goalies this year. And it's really just been that Jack Campbell just has not had his own game going the way he did last year, unfortunately. But Toronto gives Campbell a chance at a fresh start. And you also know Toronto figures that now that they went out and got their goalie, they better find a way to protect him till a more capable Freddie Anderson returns. I hope that both the Leafs and Campbell are going to feel inspired to improve themselves with the start of this new relationship. And it would be crazy to think the goalie of one of the best offensive teams in the league isn't worth owning. So as long as Anderson is out, if Campbell is still somehow a free agent in your league, and there's any kind of value to goalies, you're going to want to go out and scoop up Jack Campbell. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, obviously, I would need to know who the other options are. If it's, like, super deep, then yeah, maybe. But I think uh, Frederick Anderson is going to be healthy. And even if they play, like, 60-40, you know, even if Frederick Anderson doesn't play the number of games he normally does, we're still talking about a backup goalie. He's good for wins when he plays. I don't know if I'm rushing out to grab him. I'm just wondering what makes you think that Frederick Anderson is healthy. Well, he's been skating with the team. So I, I, you assume that means he's going to be back soon, like within a week, right? Like this isn't a long-term thing or else he would be at home uh, recuperating from a surgery. In all likelihood, yeah. So I guess we'll, we'll see, but I'm just happy to have Campbell for as long as Anderson's out. I didn't have to lose anything to get him. I don't sure. know why you wouldn't have him all that. Like, of course, don't give up anything of value if we don't know that Anderson's going to be gone for, for a lot longer. And the Leafs seem very content to ride Anderson. And I think you're right that when Anderson is healthy, the split is still going to be heavily in favor of Freddie Anderson. Unless, of course, the Leafs are finally about to learn a lesson, which is that they should not make their number one goalie a workhorse for fear that uh, he'll get injured before the times that they really need him. So we'll see. But I, I assume, like you said, it'll be at least 60-40 split for Anderson. Yeah. And, and again, Brian, like, obviously it depends what the options are, right? Like, I'm not saying that there's no value in Jack Campbell, but like, uh, Igor Shostyorkin just got streamed in, in my matchup today in the couple tier one Sweden. So in a league where guys like Shostyorkin are available in free agency, I would definitely rather have him and his upside or like a Carter Hart if he's been dropped or, you know, obviously it depends on how deep the league is. We get a lot of questions on Twitter of people asking us which goalie they should grab. And there's a lot that I would take over Jack Campbell, but it is exciting. And obviously he's on the Leafs and people love the Leafs. So I'm sure that he'll be great. And he'll definitely have a great chance of getting wins when he plays though he couldn't get the win against the Montreal Canadiens. So uh, we'll see if he can help get the Leafs into the playoffs because they're still definitely battling for a wildcard spot at the moment. Uh, Brian, since we're on the Leafs, got to mention that their trio of stars, Matthews, Marner, Tavares, have all been just unstoppable lately. In fact, Austin Matthews' goal versus Anaheim on Friday, along with three assists, by the way, brought him to 37 goals and 65 points in 55 games on the season. Now 56 games, nothing versus Montreal yesterday. Okay, Austin Matthews is now pacing for 54 goals unbelievable do you think he'll keep it up and break 50 and also he's one goal behind david pasternak three behind ovechkin in the rocket richard race so i'd curious to know who would you bet on right now to take this goal scoring title this year well first i'm gonna do what i did last week when talking about mitch marner and say look what happens when you play your stars they do star like things and approach star like milestones i feel like every time we're talking about the leafs I just Google when was Mike Babcock fired to then figure out exactly what sample size I'm looking at to figure out what these Leafs can do when they're played like the stars they are. And since the coaching change in Toronto, Austin Matthews has been seeing another 80 seconds a night on average at five on five and is pacing for 64 goals. That's 26 goals in 33 games for Matthews since the coaching change. And on the season as a whole, as you mentioned, Elon Matthews is pacing for 54 goals. He's up two minutes per night all strengths. So I guess the question you're asking, is this all sustainable enough for him to have a shot at the Rocket Richard trophy? I want to say yes, but I'm having a hard time and here's why. Because Austin Matthews' expected goals per 60 rate is half his actual goals per 60 rate in all situations, though his shooting percentage looks not so far out of line with what we've seen in the past from him. So his shooting skill is really high, but his expected goals are still a lot lower than the amount of goals he's actually scoring. So when this happens, there are two possibilities. The first is that the player is legitimately overperforming. The second possibility is that the player is a lead in 
enough to be breaking the model, essentially, which doesn't necessarily capture his own individual aptitudes and abilities at making more out of his shots than the rest of the normies in the league do. I'm actually leaning that way for Austin Matthew, that he is kind of breaking the expected goals model. And so I think he's not only a lock to break 50 goals, but really do think that Austin Matthews can catch Pasternak and Ovechkin. I would put even odds on him winning the Rocket Richard at this point. What about you? Even odds like he has a 50-50 chance of winning it or not? I'd say maybe 33%. I feel like all three of these guys are looking really good and it could be either of them. I guess that's what I'm saying. I don't really know what even odds <laughs> means. <laughs> that's fair. Okay, yeah. It's, it's looking like it's going to be a fun race to watch rest of the season. Of course, you never know when Ovechkin's just going to break out with like a four-goal game and, and pull ahead even farther. Uh, all three are great. Can't say anything bad about any of them. Also, we've been corrected in the chat. I had some bad data here. Austin Matthews doesn't have 37 goals. He has 40 goals. He's tied with Ovechkin right now. uh, And they're both two ahead of David Pasternak. So I apologize for the bad data there. Hopefully the rest of my data for the show is good. But Brian, I've got you here also to help make sure that I've got this all right. Either way, great players. And Austin Matthews is crushing it this year. And I'm very glad that he has a new coach and is getting all this extra playing time. Uh, So like I said... The Kings got Trevor Moore, but the other big impact is that Cal Peterson has now been called up. As Ben and Lewis talked about in the last Short Shifts podcast, they said they didn't really care. Uh, He played on Saturday against New Jersey, and he was okay. I guess he stopped 31 of 34 in a 3-0 loss. Uh, So clearly Cal Peterson is no Mackenzie Blackwood, but is he on your radar at all? I'm going to assume no. No, not really. I mean, Jonathan Quick and Jack Campbell were pretty far off my radar already. Cal Peterson doesn't change that. He has 906 so far this year and 37 games with AHL Ontario. And the former fifth round pick from 2013 doesn't strike me as someone so interesting, even given Peterson's short but awesome 11 game run last year where he posted a 924 in his first NHL action. Uh, I don't know what else to say about him. He's 25 years old. Maybe he has a future in the NHL. Maybe he doesn't. Either way, I'm not crazy about owning LA's goalie, no matter who it is. And Cal Peterson does not change that. All right. We're not going to talk about him anymore for the rest of the season. I doubt. I doubt we will. Okay, but one more guy on LA I do want to talk about. We had a tweet from Mike Martinshin asking permission to drop Dowdy for Severson in Bangers League. So he was asking us for permission to drop Drew Dowdy, which sounds so crazy. And you know what, though? Let's look at Drew Dowdy because he's been really bad lately. I'm seeing a sad two assists in his last 11 games going into today uh, and a couple recent no shot on goal games, which are also bad. The Kings are playing the Rangers today. looks like that game's over and the Rangers have won four to one. And I'm seeing another pointless game and a minus two and two blocks and one hit for Drew Dowdy. So another useless game for him. Is it time for people to consider dropping this guy in their like not even shallow leagues, like for sure in shallow leagues, but maybe even in deeper leagues? Yeah, I think Dowdy is streamable at this point. If you're impatient and feeling some late-season urgency in the standings, that said, I do think he's still really got a fine chance of bouncing back to at least a 40-point pace the rest of the way if you can afford to wait. If not, if you can't afford to wait, then go ahead, stream him out. He's a, The bottom line is that he's on a very bad LA team that can't expect to see a whole lot of offense the rest of the way, and that last year's 45 points that Dowdy put up is probably about as good as you could hope to expect in terms of pace the rest of the way. I'm not personally giving up on his season. If I own Doughty, I'd probably hold because defensemen are hard to find. And in a league like Cupful, none of the replacements out there are any better shots to be helpful. But if you're desperate to drop him, you need some streaming space. Permission granted. If you have at least someone like, I don't know, Damon Severson out there who can help you out for hopefully this week's matchup in the short term. 
Yeah, but it sounds like you're telling Mike that he should drop someone else for Severson and not drop Dowdy for Severson. I mean, to really know, we need to look at his roster. Yeah, we need course. to look at where he's in the standings. We need to look at who the other top free agents are at defense and forward. Uh, so there's a lot of factors here. Essentially, what I'm saying is that I think Dowdy could be a 40-point player the rest of the season, but I understand if you're tired of waiting. Yeah, that's right. Even a 40-point player isn't especially exciting. So yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Also, though, I do want to dig down on something. When you say, like, can you afford to wait? I feel like you say it a lot. I say it a lot. Uh, ben and Lewis often say, like, oh, you know, if you're high in the standings or if you're doing well, maybe you could afford to wait. Of course, there's two costs to waiting on a player who's slumping, right? The first is the fact that he's just not giving you any production right now. And so that's why it makes sense to say, hey, if you're doing well, if you're in first place anyways, maybe you could just wait it out and hope it'll get better. The other cost is the free agent, right? Is the Damon Severson that you don't pick up because you're waiting for Drew Doughty and who knows if then that good player gets picked up you know like I remember we've had lots of talks about Jeff Skinner and I believe I know Ben and Lewis were saying like yeah I guess like I would drop Skinner unless you're like doing really well in which case you might as well hold on because you know he might still do well because you know he has the upside from previous seasons but don't forget like by holding on to a Jeff Skinner who's doing absolutely nothing still like I don't even plan to bring him up anymore until he does something uh you know you're uh leaving potentially really great free agents that you're not going to get so keep that in mind like i don't know i'm ready i think we're at the point of the season now where you can start dropping these slumping players because you got to get yourself into the playoffs and start winning some playoff matchups here we we can't afford to wait anymore and these good free agents are becoming more rare right so damon severson who we'll get to i'm not saying he's amazing but he's currently on the top power play in new jersey he's doing well who knows if he can hold this for the rest of the way i'd probably want to jump on someone like that because guys aren't showing up in free agency that have this uh run going right now lately yeah i'm with you on that do you want me to talk about severson now is that your question uh, no, sure. Why not? Okay, we can, we can break through. Actually, I was going to talk about hot streaks anyways. I do want to start in New Jersey. I guess Severson is like the second hottest player on the team. Maybe we should start with the hottest, hottest player on the team, which is Mackenzie freaking Blackwood. Holy cow, did this guy have a good week this week? Two straight shutouts over Philly and LA. 46 and 37 saves, respectively. Single-handedly won goalie cats for his owners, I'm going to imagine, in a lot of leagues. I mean, I don't want to ask you about sustainable or fleeting or anything like that. Just obviously Blackwood owners are super happy to have him and are hoping that he'll be able to keep this up for the playoff stretch. The Devils have been without Nico Hischer and Sammy Vatnin for a little while, but have certainly done all right lately in their absence, as evidenced by these two shutouts. And yes, the one person who's really jumping out right now is Damon Severson, who's on a six-game point streak, has been helming the top power play since even before Vatnin got hurt. Uh, ben, actually, from Short Shifts, Ben Burnett, dropped P.K. Subban for Damon Severson today in the cupful. I feel like that was a smart move, and I'm assuming you'll agree, Brian. And do you think that Damon Severson should be owned in most leagues right now? Should everyone be going and checking if Severson's available? Yeah, that's an easy swap to move Subban for Severson. And of course, Severson should be owned. If I had Drew Doughty, I'd probably make that swap too, especially if there was any kind of urgency to stay in a matchup or fight for every week. And I don't have the luxury of just waiting for the playoffs to start in my fantasy pool. Not only is Severson on the top power play, he's been putting up some good numbers for almost two months now. He's got 15 points in his last 21 games, averaging two shots per night, including a couple big six-shot games not so long ago. Now, six of those 15 points in this stretch came on the power play, which already put Severson second amongst Devils defensemen in power play points. And he's just four pack of Vatnin's totals. And Vatnin's been on the top unit like 
all season long. Um, so if Severson is available, that's amazing because it feels like depth defense has really dried up this year in fantasy. I think everyone is catching on that the position is super scarce and you sort of just need to take a shot on a guy just in case he does pan out. And that is leaving fewer legit options out there. And that makes a guy like Damon Severson absolutely worth owning when on a run like he's on now. Just keep an eye out for Sammy Vatnin, who is probably returning this week, if I'm reading the tea leaves right, and watch how that affects Severson's power play spot because he is definitely counting on that power play production to stay very relevant as opposed to just on the fringe relevant. Yeah, definitely. For sure. You want to check and make sure he's still on the top power play. Though I don't see why the Devils would change it. They're winning right now. So why mess with the winning formula? Also, with these injuries, like like I said, Nico Heischer's out. That opened up a spot for Blake Coleman on the top power play over Nikita Gusev, by the way. And even Wayne Simmons is on the top power play. So maybe I'm starting to cool a little bit on the Gusev excitement that I've had all season long. Uh, but we don't have to get into him. I do want to mention Blake Coleman. He had a little bit of a cold spell, but he now has four points in his last three games and eight, four, and seven shots in those games. So Blake Coleman, like my question for you would just be like, is he the best or is he the best ever? He's the best this season, the best ever. Like I love Blake Coleman. He's one of my best free agent pickups of all time. And he's hopefully going to lead me to a cupful tier one championship. So I'm going to say that even this year, I don't think Coleman holds the title of being the best stream ever if we're only looking at this season because of Brian Rust's huge season. But what a fun season it's been. We actually had a thread in our patron group on Facebook uh, asking people to share who they added and did not let go of this season. That's going to make a really great off-season episode for us to pick through those players. Uh, Blake Coleman, though, specifically, let's talk about him. He's approaching a 60-point pace since mid-November. He's got 27 points in 38 games. And in those 27 points in 38 games, he has 18 goals on 144 shots. In 38 games, that's outstanding to be doing for as long as he's been doing now. Only nine assists, two for Blake Coleman, and only three power play points. So his line mates aren't helping him a lot by giving him a whole lot to assist on. And he's not even getting power play point to get up to this near 60 point pace. And the truth is that all these goals, which is where Coleman's bread and butter is, they feel pretty real to me. He's actually seeing no more five on five ice time this year compared to last, but Coleman is shooting a ton more, upping what were already high shot rates. And by the way, he's not just throwing pucks randomly on net. Blake Coleman is putting really dangerous shots on net. Like he's top 10 in shot attempts for 60. He's fourth in the NHL in shots per 60 minutes, and he's top 10 in expected goals per 60 minutes. Blake Holman is locked in, putting up great numbers. Way to go, Blake, and all those who added him and never once wavered in their belief that he must stay on their roster. <laughs> yes. Uh, Brian, by the way, you're saying like, oh, too bad he doesn't have good line mates that he could assist on their goals. Or like another way to look at it is that this guy's a puck hog and he just shoots. If you're saying he's taking all these shots, he doesn't True. pass. He's Blake shoot Coleman and maybe Gusev could score on a rebound or something and that's it. Yeah, true. Uh, but like, I, I really wonder about this relationship. It was something I was trying to dig into while I was preparing for the show between Gusev and Coleman. I don't know uh, who butters the other's bread, who's really driving the other, or maybe it's a very symbiotic, nice, all like mutual relationship where they're giving each other uh, the, the, the best of one another, which I think is the case because Gusev seems to be a good setup guy. Coleman seems to be a good finisher. Yeah, though, of course, on the power play, Gusev's not there, and Coleman is producing there as well. Though I guess it's easier when you have more players on the ice than the other team. So you brought up Brian Rust, saying he's a better ad than Blake Coleman. So let me ask you quickly, because Brian Rust is now pointless in three games. <gasps> and he had zero shots yesterday versus Florida? 
Like, in fact, if you have Brian Rust on your fantasy team, he was a total anchor for you this past week. Pittsburgh only played twice, and Rust did absolutely nothing. Uh, so that's the downside with Brian Rust. On the upside, he's still playing with Malkin and Horkvist uh, at even strength, and he's still on the top power play. So I'm curious, since you brought him up, is this a case of regression finally hitting Brian Rust, or is this just a small blip and Rust will still hold the title for the rest of the season as the best free agent you could have added? Brian Rust is not due for a whole lot of regression. I don't expect him to go three games without a point very often. So no, there's nothing to do here. And I think he will hold that title over Coleman the rest of the year. But it's close because Coleman's shot totals are just so incredible. So that does make up for, you know, maybe five, maybe 10 points uh, in actual production between them. They're, They're both really good, Elon, okay? You don't have to choose. Okay, though, most of this podcast is just asking you to choose between different people. Uh, I have another one for you now. Uh, Kyle Palmieri, we're still back on the Devils here. He's been on a great run lately. His goal and assist versus the Kings in the last game brought him to four goals and two assists in his last six games. Uh, we had a question on Facebook, actually, recently. Someone asked uh, Hoffman versus Palmieri for the rest of the season. Hoffman on the on Florida is like red hot himself. He has 18 points his last 15 games. Unbelievable. And all this from the third line with Frank Vetrano and a guy named Dominic Toninato. So I don't know. Obviously, also Hoffman's on the top power play, so that helps. Uh, most people voted Hoffman. I voted Paul Mary. <laughs> I don't know. And then you actually responded with a shocked Paul, uh, shocked emoji on my. You know, Facebook gives you those little emojis. You can use <laughs> a big, big fun part of being in the Facebook group is being able to choose which emoji to use when Brian or I give an especially weird take. Maybe I was wrong. Was that too crazy of a take for me? I just like to me, it's just that I don't believe that Hoffman could keep this up from the third line. Like Paul Mary's top line, top power play. Maybe I'm too obsessed with deployment. I think you might be. I only responded with the shocked face emoji because you were the only vote to have gone Palmieri at that point. So I was just kind of teasing you to make you feel uneasy. I guess it really got to you, though. Uh, and mm-hmm. Hoffman is on pace for 68 points. Palmieri's on pace for 59 points. So, Elon, I actually think, like, my position is the default position. You have the hot take. So this is a great chance for you to explain your thinking and why Hoffman can't keep it up. You really just think it's a function of his ice time like i just think that he has worse line mates i don't know like i feel like paul mary is the guy who you could depend on to get points game in game out because he's getting the you know primo deploymento but obviously hoffman is saying i don't give a crap i'm just gonna get points every game anyways so who who am i to say it's a, a tough choice but i guess for most people it wasn't and they just picked hoffman and moved on i mean paul mary's on ice numbers are better like his team is better at producing chances when he's on the ice than Hoffman's line mates are and same thing for expected goals so there is some reason there but Hoffman's just really good he doesn't seem to need a whole lot of help although he is potentially shooting at an unsustainable clip or scoring at an unsustainable clip so we will keep a close eye I think it's possible they meet in the middle over the course of the rest of the year but I don't think Paul Mary is going to really exceed Hoffman's production Fair enough. So something we can watch the rest of the way. Uh, Okay, so let's go to some more hot players. I guess let's cover a couple other red-hot goalies. We talked about Mackenzie Blackwood. Uh, Obviously, we have to mention Elvis Merzlikens, who finally didn't get a shutout yesterday versus Colorado, but still only led in two goals on 22 shots in the loss. Uh, So where do you stand at this point for this Columbus goalie situation? I guess everyone asks this. No one knows the answer, so I don't see why you would know any different. But at some point, uh, Eunice Corposalo is going to come back, and then, I don't know, Like Merzlikens has been playing every game game and has been amazing like a fantasy mvp week in week out is this going to continue would you be worried as a merzlikens owner or are you just tired of talking about this 
It's a, I'm kind of tired of talking about it just because it's impossible to know. I, I don't know how many times we've seen this situation where a goalie gets injured who was just emerging himself and then the guy behind him starts to emerge too. And it sort of has turned from a situation where it's like, yeah, it's definitely going to be Corpus Allo's net when he comes back. And it's like, well, yeah, he'll still get more of the starts because he did it for longer. And it's like, oh, it'll be 50-50. Now it's like, how do you ignore what Merzlikens has done and even go 50-50 to Corpusala. If I'm coaching Columbus and Corpusala is healthy, I think I would keep rolling Merzlikens until he starts faltering or flailing or looking tired, at which point I'm very happy to have Corpusala with me. But it seems like both these guys only excel when they've got the workload and can get into a rhythm. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this is dealt with when Corpusala is healthy. All this to say... I don't know, but to any guys who are holding Corpusalo, just anticipating his healthy return, uh, you might need to find a plan B if you're really counting on him starting for your fantasy team once he was healthy. Yeah, the the thing is though, like go back and listen to the episode that we recorded after Corpusalo got injured, and we were talking about how he was like one of the hottest goalies in the league, and this guy won, and like there's no way once he comes back that he wouldn't be the starter, you know? So it's it's really tough. Like I and also you know I'll be skeptical of what you said, Brian, where clearly these guys need to go on a rhythm in order order to play well and like play a lot of games like Elvis Merzlikens is brand new to the league I don't know if we should put much stock into what happened for those few games he played before Corpusalo got injured so who knows nobody knows just something to always keep in mind I guess forever hopefully just Corpusalo will come back soon so we can stop talking about you know what we think is going to happen and actually see what happens uh on Columbus uh, Cam Atkinson is pointless in seven games now he's taking a lot of shots but nothing is going in I don't like his deployment he's on the second line with Nyquist and Jenner and also on the second power play with those two Emil Be- Bemstrom and Seth Jones uh Wenberg is injured I think he was on the line with Atkinson at one point anyway are we approaching snoozer time with Cam Atkinson or are you expecting the floodgates to open at some point I can't call Kim Atkinson a snoozer because my position on him remains the same. Atkinson is getting kind of screwed here. He has a career low five on five shooting percentage that's just over five and a half percent. His career number is closer to 10% and there's no drop offs in Atkinson's shot generation or his expected goals production. His on ice shooting percentage also down the tubes. Is that a thing people say? It's under 6%. Uh, so, Atkinson is really pulling the short straw in just about every way. Also in deployment. Like, this is not a variance thing. He's playing less time per night than ever and with worse players than ever. But still, Cam Atkinson deserves a good deal better than the mere 12 goals and 26 points he's amassed in 44 games. If regression comes as expected, those floodgates... I don't know if it'll be floodgates, but gates will open. Uh, we know sometimes it just doesn't go that way. Uh, but this isn't like a Drew Doughty situation where Drew Doughty just looks kind of meh on the whole. Atkinson still looks good under the hood. It's very frustrating. If I owned him, I'd be pulling out my hair. Yeah, well, I do own him in the couple, and it has been very frustrating. Like, we do get points for shots, so he's not giving me nothing. But just a couple of these goals could go in. I would be for sure winning my matchup right now instead of biting my nails, recording the episode, and then refreshing Yahoo every single time you talk to see how it's looking. Okay, let's do an easy one right now. Here's a hot streak where I don't really have a question for you. But if you recall, earlier in the season, we were lamenting Nikita Kucherov. And he, like, only, quote-unquote, was on, like, a 90-point pace. And we were wondering if maybe last year's 128 points was a bit of a flu. 
Luke? Well, maybe Kucherov was listening himself because he's been on an insane run lately. He has 18 points in his last 10 games. Obviously helps that he's been reunited with Stamkos and Point for a while now, both of whom are also on great runs. And yeah, Kucherov is just flying. He's currently sitting ninth in the scoring race. He has 67 points, but there's a few guys really close to him within reach. Huberdeau, Eichel, Marshawn Panarin, all within a few points. Do you see Kucherov uh, cracking the top five by the end of the season? Like, I'm going to assume he won't catch Dreisaitl, McDavid, and McKinnon, who are like all like eight plus points ahead of him. But it seems like Kucherov is surging now, and I I could see him really shooting up the scoring race. We talked about the Tampa Bay Lightning's run with Steve on the show last week. They've been insane, and Kucherov has been a big part of it. And you mentioned this, Elon, but it's crazy to think at the start of the season when we were suggesting that it could be by low time for Nikita Kucherov. Congratulations to anybody who was able to do that. And I remember seeing a lot of offers where people were thinking of selling their Kucherovs. It's like, no, you still try and get a lot out of him. And we were down on him. We weren't sure if he was going to quite repeat that number, but you still wanted to try and milk everything out of him if you had him as an asset or buy low. Congratulations if you did either of those, especially the buy low crowd, because Kucherov is back in the mix uh, to at least be a top five scorer in the league this year. I think Panarin is probably going to be hard to catch to to get into the top five for Gutrov, but I could see him landing six ahead of Huberdeau, Eichel, and Marchand. He has just five points make up on them, has games in hand on some. So uh, I don't know. What is this? We're just talking about how great Kucherov is. Yeah, I, mean, I just want to throw it out there because, you know, sometimes we don't talk about these players because it's not fantasy relevant to discuss because there's nothing anyone could do about them. So yeah, I've got to give some credit to Nikita Kucherov for just being amazing. Though, uh, let's mention since we're on Tampa and this top line is being loaded up with their three best players and Kucherov, Point, and Stamkos, uh, that means that there's not too many other players that have value right now. Like There was a stretch where Alex Killorn was on a line with Stamkos and he was doing so well. That's like long over. If you're still holding, holding Alex Killorn in your league, like you're snoozing big time. You got to have dropped him like two weeks ago maybe like the one forward that you would want to own on Tampa right now aside from the big three is Anthony Sorelli because he's super hot right now he has 12 points in his last 10 games he's I guess the new triplet with Taijo and Palat he's doing well Taijo and Palat not doing anything uh, not much value in Tampa which is weird a team that scores so much but really it's only Anthony Sorelli that's getting points aside from the big three in terms of forwards they just have all these guys, and Anthony Sorelli's one of them, that they just, you know, rotate in, they light it up. Think of Gord in the past, think of Palat, think of Matthew Joseph and Cedric Paquette, and of course this year Alex Kalorn. All these guys can come into the top six and play a role and get hot, and they just take turns doing it. So right now it's Anthony Sorelli's turn, although he might be the best bet to continue getting turns over the rest of the year. He's definitely worth owning right now. Okay, and over on D, let's talk about Colton Pareko, who came back from an injury back on January 27th and proceeded to not do much. He didn't get a point for four straight games, but then out of nowhere, he's had three gems. He had a goal and an assist versus the Canes on Tuesday, then a goal versus Winnipeg on Thursday, and then two goals versus Dallas on Saturday. So if you streamed in Colton Pareko, you got an amazing week out of him, and I'm sure you're holding moving forward for the foreseeable future. All of these games, by the way, three or four shots and decent hits and blocks. So Pareko has been amazing lately. Is there any chance that this is sustainable and Pareko is like a must add and hold like in all leagues for the rest of the season? Like maybe should Mike should drop Dowdy for Pareko if he's available and Severson's already gone? Or do you have to look at Pareko's 18 points in 49 games overall and consider that as indicative of still what to expect for the rest of the season? I think that is what I do. That's indicative that maybe 35 points, but I do love that we're seeing a glimpse of the Pareko who once had a salivating at his shot totals. He now has three or more shots on goal in each of his last six games, 
four goals on his last 10 shots, though, which, of course, is not sustainable. And that's what's gotten him up to almost a 35-point pace, or essentially, I still think that's about where he sticks. I'd be a little more optimistic in Breco if he actually had more assists to mix into this recent stretch and not relying so much on some unsustainable goal scoring, but alas... Well, but I mean, he could get assists in the future, right? It's not as if he's he's not going to get assists because he hasn't so far. For sure. That's not what I'm saying, though. I'm just saying that this particular run of production is not... He, he can't keep up this pace just on the strength of goals, and I don't see him suddenly getting a whole bunch of assists to replace those goals either. 35 points, but I hope he still can get three or more shots in all the games remaining. Yeah, I, I guess, like, the thing is with Colton Parekos, even when he wasn't getting a ton of points, kind of like Edler, but I think better, like, he still helps you with peripherals, so you probably still wanted him, and if he's been a free agent in your league, he's probably not at this point, especially after this great run, but someone interesting to me that, like, one of these rare defensemen, you know, who's worth owning even if he doesn't produce, and always nice to see, and all these shots, you love the shots. Uh, by the way, another player that's producing really well right now in St. Louis is Zach Sanford, who you talked about last week with Steve Laidlaw, and, you know, you said, wow, Zach, and I remember I was listening to it while I was on vacation, and thinking, Brian, what are you talking about this like random guy for? But you were right. He was on a great run. And actually, he rewarded you by bringing him up because he scored another two goals on Tuesday to keep that great run going. But now he's pointless in the two games since. I'm curious, like going into next week, St. Louis plays four times. Should people still expect Sanford to kind of keep it going, get that offense going, playing? He's still playing with Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron, as far as I know. And he was doing so well. And he's great. He gives you those hits, even if he doesn't get points. But what are your thoughts currently on Sanford? Have they changed it all from last week? No, they haven't. Play back the tape if you didn't hear what we said. Or you know what? I'll do you a favor. I'll just, I'll share it again now. Look, if Sanford is getting good exposure on that top line in St. Louis, it's a great place for him to maybe luck into a couple points here and there. But I wouldn't expect him to do anything super sustainable. He's like a poor man Zach Hyman, let's say. That, that means he's definitely amazing and worth owning in all formats, you mean, right? No, a poor man, Zach Hyman. Oh, okay. Well, then, I don't Zach know. Hyman think... is not so rich that even a poor man, <laughs> Zach Hyman, is a must-own. Okay, fair enough. I think Sanford hits more than Hyman, so he's richer in that respect. Uh, by the way, I assume since we're on defensemen, everyone's aware, right, that it's been Jacob Slavin who took over from Dougie Hamilton on Carolina's top power play? I hope so. If you're listening and you thought it was Jake Gardner, no. It's been Slavin, and yeah, Gardner had a really good game yesterday, but overall, Slavin's been running with this role. He's been doing really well lately. He had a five-game point streak broken yesterday versus Vegas, uh, and I assume at this point, Slavin's got to be a must-own, like, all over, right, while he's on the top power play and also producing? Like, how would he compare to the guys like Dowdy, Severson, Pareko that we've brought up recently? At the top for me, Slavin has two power play points in eight games while quarterbacking that top unit. That's pretty decent production for a power play quarterback. And the five on five points that Slavin has randomly added to that make his allure all the stronger. So yes, Jacob Slavin is a must own and ahead of those other guys you mentioned. Okay, and then another, one more defenseman. Okay? Two more defensemen, okay? I promise. Then we'll do some forwards to end the show. Uh, Ryan Graves has six points in eight games, at least going into today versus Minnesota. Let's see. Colorado's up three to one right now. And another assist for Ryan Graves. So he just keeps on producing. And again, like these other guys we brought up, he's great for peripherals, shots, hits, blocks, all the goods coming from Ryan Graves. So, Brian, let's rank him with these other guys. Like, sure, he doesn't have Drew Doughty's offensive upside, but hey, Ryan Graves is the one who got the point today, not Drew Doughty. And I'm sure a lot of it has to do just with Colorado being a team that scores a lot more goals than LA. So if Graves was out there and you're in a bangers league, maybe you even consider dropping Doughty for Ryan Graves. Also, another thing Doughty can't do that Graves does is Graves blocked 10 shots in a game back on February 1st versus Philly. I don't think Drew Doughty's ever done that. 
Yeah, take that, Drew Doughty, former Norris Trophy winner, my foot. Uh, Ryan Graves in line for the Norris Trophy with that 10-block game. Also has 21 shots in his last eight games going into tonight. So that's another reason to like him. I will, like, here's the cold water, Elon. Ryan Graves, before this run, had just three points in 15 games before this. Of course, before that, he also had a very fantasy-relevant run. So we're still trying to figure out who the real Ryan Graves is. But I think this is essentially a case of Colorado scores a lot of goals. Ryan Graves is on the ice a lot. So he's going to pick up some points and enough to somehow get on a better run than Sam Girard has been on all season long. Uh, and of course, add in Graves' banging numbers, and he's playing on such an offensively-minded team. Graves is a good guy to grab as, you know, I said a depth or streamer defenseman, but I think I'm just saying at least for the short term, possibly the middle term, and as long as he's doing this, you should hold him, which is a dumb thing to say. Of course you would. Yeah, of course. So, okay, we've got a lot of names here. Slavin, Severson, Dowdy, Pareko, uh, now Ryan Graves, all in this category of defensemen that you want to be checking and seeing if they're available for you in your leagues if you need a defenseman especially. Uh Okay, I will mention one more. I have a feeling you're not going to be as high on him. Matt Niskanen is on a run in Philly right now. He has six points in his last five games. Is there anything here? Or do you still expect him to be the 38-point guy that he's been pacing as so far on the season? But like moving forward, do you think he'll be more than a 38-point guy based on this current run? No. Same answer as always for Matt Niskanen. By the way, Philadelphia also scoring a whole lot of goals. They have three or more goals in 10 of their last 13 games Three occasions, they've had six or more goals in one night. So that rising tide is... I always screw up this saying, this idiom. A rising tide raises all ships. Yeah. What's... That makes sense. That's not it. There's a different word to describe the tide. Okay. Or the ships. You can't say rising both times. Like, so wait, didn't you prepare this podcast? Like, didn't you see my question? I didn't write the idiom down. Oh, you didn't. Okay, well, something to look up for next week, I guess. Or tweeted us at Keeping Carlson. Lifts. Lifts. Fair. Okay. Well, good. Good for uh, Matt Niskanen getting in. And by the way, Philly's been shaking things up. I guess it's working lately. Uh, Now Giroux isn't centering the top line anymore. They got Couturier back with Giroux and Voracek. And then Hayes is playing with Konechny and Lawton. And then poor James Van Riemsdyk, who we talked about as a line one power play one guy a couple weeks ago. He's back in the bottom six playing with Pitlick and Morgan Frost, who just got called up recently. So probably time if you grab JVR and you enjoyed him for a bit. Time to probably drop him down until he gets in the top six again. Did you see that he scored a goal even though he was out of the top six? It was his only (laughs) shot. He scored on it. He played fewer than 13 minutes, so definitely consider it. But also, Van Riemsdyk has a game Monday. So if he's on your roster right now, at least watch him for that Monday game and then make your decision. Fair enough. But I'm not going to be swayed by a single goal like uh, Dominic Kubalik and Brandon Sad have each scored today. Actually, they're both really good. I'm trying to think of an example of someone who's scored a goal that I don't care about. Okay, let's check this Colorado-Minnesota game. Uh, Pierre-Edouard Bellemare scored a goal. Brian, so are you saying people can't drop him? No. Okay. Because they don't own him. Oh. Ah. Uh. That's like that meme of the guy touching his, his head and being like, oh, you can't drop him if you don't own him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very good. Way to do an audio meme. <laughs> Uh, hot streaks. We're doing more hot streaks. We're going to Dallas, where you just said before you're not interested in anybody. 
not even Joe Pavelski, because he's currently riding a five-game point streak with the majority of his production coming on the power play, which I guess is both good and bad. Good if you're in a league that counts power play points. Bad, because maybe that's not necessarily sustainable. Uh, Before that, Pavelski went on a stretch of just one assist in eight games, so it's hard to tell if we should be recommending Pavelski moving forward at this point. Like, what do you think? Like, obviously, he was drafted really high in a lot of leagues. He disappointed everyone, but maybe it's just like it took him a while to adjust to his surroundings, and now these past five games have shown that Pavelski is locked in and ready to go for the rest of the season. What a theory that Joe Pavelski just needed 50 games to adjust to his new team. This is a professional hockey player with an illustrious career record uh, who needed 50 games to figure out how to play hockey again. No, that's not what happened, Elon. What happened is that Joe Pavelski scored four times on 12 shots in his last five games. I'm still down on Dallas. By the way, uh, like he did get several power play points. Four of these six points in his last five games were on the power play. And that power play in Dallas is clicking. They're five out of their last 17 power play attempts. So good for them. It helps Joe Pavelski, or Joe Pavelski helps them. Someone's helping someone when that unit is going well. But I think that all this does is puts Joe Pavelski back into streaming territory. I still don't think he's a must-own until I see more from him than this. All right, fair enough. But I do think people like Dallas, I believe, plays four times next week. So you could do worse if Pavelski's out there in free agency. Grab him for as long as the streak lasts, and then maybe you can move on to someone else. So that that makes sense. Uh, let's go to Chicago. Last time I brought up Kirby Doc playing on a line in power play with Patrick Kane, I recall you said you didn't seem too interested. Have you had a change of heart yet? Because Doc has held this deployment, and he's currently on a run of six points in his last five games. That's going into today's game versus Winnipeg, and I am seeing that Kirby Doc has has no points okay so but he's doing really well he's in a good spot and maybe he'll still get a point before this game is over so what do you think is he now someone that you would be considering adding and i guess on the flip side on chicago dominic kubalik went super cold he had no points in four games after the all-star break though i see he did actually score today versus winnipeg so i was (laughs) going to ask you would you drop kubalik for kirby duck if you had the option maybe now it seems like less of something you would do but maybe not because generally i'm still going to take the guy playing with patrick kane at even strengthen on the power play versus someone playing with Taves and not on the top power play. So yeah. What do you think of these two guys? And that's it. That's my question. (laughs) Sorry. I I gotta admit, I'm a little distracted here. Okay. I'm trying my best to make a good podcast, but I'm up by 10 points in my matchup and my players are all done. And my opponent has Blake Wheeler, uh, Kevin Fiala, Kale McCarr, Connor Murphy, Mark Shifley, and Kirby Doc all in like for the third period of their game today so in the next like 15 minutes i'm gonna know if i won or lost it's driving me crazy but anyways brian chicago blackhawks kirby doc versus dominic kubalik go i was just waiting for you to go into a recursive loop about kirby doc is kirby doc worth owning is kirby doc worth out until your games ended (laughs) Uh, to answer your question just uh, like you mentioned all these points from Kirby Doc. Curiously, just one of those points came on the power play. So I'm still not loving the fact that he's on the top unit because I'm not loving his production there. And I wonder if uh, who's the odd man out these days? It's still Dylan Strome. This is one of those things that yeah. you try and look up before the, the show starts. Um, so that's unfortunate. But of course, as you said, Doc is playing with Kane and Saad at five on five. And I will take almost anyone playing with Patrick Kane. We used to stream in Artemi Anisimov because he was playing with Patrick Kane. So yeah, I'll look at Kirby Doc. And Kirby Doc has also had these moments where he's looking good now, whereas I think he's kind of quiet during his first little while in the league. But the gifs I'm seeing show 
know him as being a really good player with some good moments. I don't think I want to choose between Doc and Kubalik, though. Uh, Kubalik is still playing with Jonathan Taze, which is good. The possibility is there for them to do stuff again. Of course, they were producing, as we said on the show, at an unsustainable clip together. And also, Kubalik only saw fewer than 13 minutes of ice in his last game. So you've got to keep an eye on that to see if his opportunity is slowly being pulled away as the goose eggs pile up. But now he has this goal, which breaks that, and maybe he'll get more ice time now. So I, I don't know. I feel like I could go in circles about Kubalik and Doc as well. I think they're both worth owning as depth players. If I had to pick one, I think it just comes down to, I will take the guy playing with Patrick Kane over the guy playing with Jonathan Taves. Right, so that's Kirby Duck. Yeah, I, I know how you feel, Brian. I don't want to choose either a lot of the time, but you only have so many spots on your roster. I wish I could stream all the, the good free agents, but sometimes you have to choose also choosing who to drop. Very frustrating, right? I dropped a Essa Lindell today. I hope that that wasn't a mistake. But <laughs> I don't think fine. it was. Okay, uh, one more hot streak here. How about Paul Stasny? He's been scorching lately since he started centering the Marshall Stowe and Smith line over in Vegas with William Carlson injured. Stasny has 10 points in his last eight games. I feel like this might hold. There was practice lines today that came out, and Pete DeBoer, who's, remember, the new coach of the Vegas Golden Knights, he had William Carlson playing on the third line, and apparently in an interview he was saying, yeah, just because the some line worked before with the previous coach doesn't mean I'm going to necessarily go with that line. So it's possible that William Carlson comes back, maybe centers the third line, maybe Chandler Stevenson stays with Stone and Pacioretty because they've been doing pretty well lately, and maybe Paul Stasny stays centering Marshall Stone Riley Smith. So what that tells me is you should be going and adding Paul Stasny in your league if he's somehow available. I'm so sad that I dropped Paul Stasny. I just thought the Carlson return was imminent after the All-Star break and that he'd jump straight to the top line where he was before and where we talked about how they'd been cold, but we hadn't lost faith that Carlson and Marshall and Smith could get it together. Uh, But I guess now that Stasny has gotten his chance there and things are going better for everyone, it's easy to think that the Golden Knights may not mess with a good thing and keep Stasny up on the top line, which just crushes me. I've had Stasny on my roster for so much of this season, and to lose him at such a critical moment was foolish. I'm Ah. sorry, Paul. Sorry, Paul. Well... Now he's, well, he was so cold for such a long stretch. This guy is the definition of dependent on deployment, right? When you like say, Elon, maybe you're a little bit too obsessed with deployment. Here's why. Paul Stasny in the bottom six, nothing. Paul Stasny on the top line, point per game, higher than point per game. So that's what's happening over in Vegas. Let's give a couple shout outs to Vegas players who definitely aren't available to anyone. Mark Stone had a five point game versus Florida on Thursday. Not much to say about him that everyone doesn't already know, but clearly Mark Stone is amazing. He's the leading scorer on the team for good reason. And then shout out to Shea Theodore, who's two straight one goal one assist games have brought him up to 11 points in his last nine 37 points in 57 games on the season if my data is correct uh but regardless of the data we're clearly seeing that Shea Theodore is like a superstar in this league. He's only 24 years old. I have a hunch. I don't know why. I still have a hunch that he'll somehow get like underdrafted in in leagues next season. Like for some reason, I just feel like people are going to say, oh, can he really do it? Or like, and also his full season numbers won't be as good as what he did in this second half where he's really heated up. So next draft is going to be maybe your last chance to get Shea Theodore not among the top defensemen because I think he might be one of the top fantasy defensemen out there at this point. I think that window is already closed, Elon. I think your last chance to get Shea Theodore as an underrated piece was last year. Like this year's drafts, this past year's drafts, just to be perfectly clear, when everyone was like, ah, oh, yeah, you were like a Nate Schmidt. Uh, maybe he'll challenge for power play time. Shea Theodore is the man on a loaded top power play in Vegas. I doubt he goes later next year than he did this year. 
Oh, yeah. No, for sure. But I'm saying maybe he's, like, actually a top five fantasy defenseman. I see. And, like, people aren't seeing it yet. I guess we'll see. Because overall, he still was only, like I said, my, I'm, I've confirmed my data is correct. We're looking at... 30, oh, no. It's not correct. 38 points. I gotta check my source here. But either way, he's only on, like, a 50 to 55-point pace right now on the season. But he's been so much better lately. So, Shay Theodore crushing it. And before you move on to Cold Streaks, Elon, I'm gonna interject here and mention that Timo Meyer is on a bit of a run, finally. He is up to five points in his last four games. And look at the shots. Four shots. Six shots. Zero shots. Eight shots. That is the shot. That's the, those are the shot counts from his last four games. You add it all together, even with that zero shot game, 18 shots for Timo Meyer in his last four, again, while collecting five points. And today, he got a vote of confidence from his coach saying this is, he's finally found his sweet spot in the lineup, in his rule, in his condition. I don't know. Was something a coach says to say that, oh yeah, we finally figured out this player. Uh, but maybe it was just a matter of giving him some freaking ice time. He's played more than 17 minutes in three of his last four, which was a rarity for Meyer for a long time. So if Timo Meyer had been dropped in your league, it's time to go scoop him up. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, good call, Brian. Thanks for adding him to the hot streak list. Kevin Fiala just scored. Now I'm up by five points only. Oh my god, so stressful. Okay, let's end with a couple cold streaks. One of them still playing in this very important game for me right now. Josh Morrissey. Maybe this is too late. It probably is. I just want to get your final take on Josh Morrissey at this point. He's pointless in 11 games going into today. Uh, he was on a 48-point pace, though, before this disappearance. So I assume everyone's snoozing, as you've just intimated, if they still have him in their league, in, like, one-year leagues. But, like, what about long-term keeper leagues? Like, is Josh Morrissey still someone we need to be excited about? Or has this season convinced us that it's not going to happen? Neil Pionk is the future, if any defenseman is going to be in Winnipeg at the moment. Well, so Neil Pionk, and this is sort of a contract question, right? But it's only a contract question because... Pionk is looking real good in that power play role. He's up to 20 power play points in 57 games. I know he's got a point tonight. I don't know if it came on the power play, but he's essentially up to a 29 power play point pace, which is incredible, right? That's high-end defensive production on the power play. Few defensemen get above 20 power play points. The good ones get, you know, somewhere around 25. Close to 30 is about as good as it gets, although there's some that get even more, but not very many. So Neil Pionk crushing it on that Jets power play. And uh, looking at the contract, he's got another year after this one before he becomes a restricted free agent. Josh Morrissey, on the other hand, is someone that the Jets have committed to long-term. He's signed for like another five years, six years after this one. So, That's the reason that maybe he still has some value in a keeper league if the Jets can't afford to re-sign Pionk as a restricted free agent, which rarely happens when a player is restricted. But it sure seems like the power play quarterback mantle goes to Neil Pionk, and that hurts Morrissey's value long-term. Morrissey, to me, is now looking a lot like Alex Edler. Uh, You know, he has this great point pace for the season, but it's because he scored seven power play points in his first 21 games. That's how Morrissey got up to that 48 point pace. Without that power play production, Morrissey's pace is probably stuck around like the mid 30s. So so more like an Edler Hannafin type in terms of someone who might get a point by being on the ice a lot every so often, maybe 30, 35 points, and then some hits and blocks, maybe a shot or two here and there, but nothing as exciting as we were hoping for going into this year when we thought maybe just maybe he'd be a power play one quarterback. 
Yeah, I mean, it might be a situation like Jacob Truba, right? Where even like on the Jets and actually on the Rangers, right? Like even if you say that Neil Pionk doesn't resign, which like you said, obviously he will. He's a restricted free agent. They always sign. Uh, but they do have like Sammy Niku coming back. Like, maybe they just don't like Morrissey there. So uh, I don't know. Uh, it's too bad. We really thought he was going to be good. And right now, not looking so good. Well, they're paying him six and a quarter million for the next eight years. So I hope they like him because they are very much committed to him. Yeah, well, hey, the Rangers, I'm sure, like Jacob Truba, even though he's not running the top power play. Larry's like, he's a defenseman. His goal is to defend. So maybe he's doing well at that. Uh, Okay, let's end in Nashville, and then I'm going to go cry myself to sleep because Blake Wheeler just scored a goal, so I'm going to lose my matchup. And that makes me so sad. Uh, Do you want to just end the show now? Like, you could leave early. No, no. I'll take it the rest of the way. You're like the cool boss, like where like <laughs> you have a tragedy and they let you go home early for the day. But no, let's finish this out. Uh, I wanted, uh, kind of like with Morrissey, right? Like, I think you've already answered this, but I just want to lock this down here. Can we just tell people that they could probably drop every single Nashville Predator forward aside from Philip Forsberg at this point? Like, I'm going to give you some names. None of them really exciting me. Like, we've got Matt Duchesne, one assist in his last four games. Now he's down to a 56-point pace on the season, but that's really falling fast. He's been doing nothing for a while now. Victor Arvidsson, pointless in four, hasn't taken more than two shots in six straight games now. Not exciting there. Uh, Ryan Johansson, forget about him. He's below a 50-point pace already on the season and doing nothing lately. I guess, like, the one kind of interesting guy at the moment is Mikhail Granlin, who was doing nothing for so long, so that's why he's not, like, a must-hold, because I've still seen him in free agency in a bunch of leagues, but he's actually finally gotten some top power play time, and, yeah, he's on a somewhat of a run. I guess for Nashville standards, he's, like, an all-star. Uh, maybe he's the second-best forward option after Philip Forsberg right now. I'm going to throw it another name there. How about Kyle Touris, Elon, who's up to six points in his last eight games. And suddenly he's playing big minutes after a season in which his ice time was frequently cut. He's been a healthy scratch. He's averaging almost 19 minutes a night over his last eight games. And four of these six points he's picked up have been on the power play. Now, he only has nine shots. So keep your goals expectations incredibly tempered for Kyle Touris. But he, I think, is probably at least equally worth owning to Mikhail Granlin, which is to say barely worth owning in a lot of formats. I'm also going to clarify something. You said the only predator worth owning is Philip Forsberg. You meant the only preds forward, right? Because yeah. Roman Yosi continues to totally lead the way. I've taken this slice of one month, the last month in Nashville, which includes some favorable moments for the team and its players. Uh, there are only, aside from Forsberg, there's only three Nashville forwards who are above a half point per game. You have Torres with seven in his last 11, and then Nick Benino with six, and Granlin with six in their last 11, which is barely over a half point per game. And then you look at the shot counts, it's like, okay, is anybody really getting a lot of chances on net? Matt Duchesne and Victor Arvidsson are barely above two shots per game. Aside from that, there's nothing. And then power play production, is anyone doing anything on the power play? Kyle Torres has four power play points, as I mentioned. Yosi, Forsberg, and Granlund with two apiece. Smith and Atcom with only one, which means Duchesne and Arvidsson and Johansson don't even have a power play point in the last month, which is 11 games because of the All-Star break. But all this is a longer way of saying what you said at the start of this question, which was that it is painful to own any Nashville Predators forward, not named Philip Forsberg, just when we thought they had two top six centers to finally make two lines roll in that top six where everybody would be worth owning. Somehow it's gotten worse rather than better. 
Yeah, and I mean, Philip Forsberg, he hasn't been like so amazing, right? He only has one assist in his last four games. So it's actually just, I was just saying like overall moving forward, obviously you hold on to Forsberg because he's a superstar. But yeah, the season hasn't gone for Nashville. How we hoped just like this week didn't go for me. How I hoped in the cupful. Congratulations, Robert, for the win. Hopefully people aren't annoyed that I, I'm hammering on this, but it's just uh, consuming my brain right now. So Brian, this has been a really fun show. It's been great to be back doing this with you. We should do this every week. But we can't, because you're going to be away next week. So I'll have a special guest, which is yet to be determined. Uh, But until then, thanks everyone so much for listening. I hope you really like the show. Uh, We'd love to hear your feedback. Tweet at us at Keeping Carlson with uh, what you think. We'd love to hear it. And also, if you, we already mentioned the Patreon program. If you want to support us there, we'd love it. Uh, KeepingCarlson.com slash patron to get all the information. Uh, We'd also love, I mean, hey, we won't say no to a five-star review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts if you would be so kind. I I mean, hey, you're already on a device listening to the podcast, which means you're probably connected to the internet. So I think it's only a couple clicks away and you're really helping us out. It doesn't cost you a thing. Uh, but with that, Brian, how about we cue the outro music and you can go ahead and read us the credits. All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabra Hockey and powered by our newest patrons or all our patrons, including our newest ones. Mark, Alicia, and Katie, welcome aboard. And hopefully you too, dear listener. Logo art by Brandon Weeb. Outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Natural Statric, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Charting Hockey, HockeyGoalies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Biz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Yahoo. Way to go. (laughs) Good job, Brian. Looking forward to doing this with someone next week. Actually, no, I'm looking forward to doing a patron cast with you in two days. Oh, yeah. Everybody be a patron in time for that. And if you just miss it, they're all archived. You can go back and listen to all, what, 50 patron casts we've done? We've done more than that. Like 100? They're all amazing. Check them out. Marathon our patron cast. Let us know what we said. Morrissey with an assist, by the way. Oh, good for him. You know what? Igor Shostjorkin, Robert uh, streamed him in, and that made the difference in our matchup. He had 14 fantasy points today. I've had him. Oh, like, I even put a bid in him for day. I got outbid. He used five fab dogs. That's why I guess you save your fab for late in the season, so you can get those great late streams. Anyway, are we done? The show's not over yet. Right, say your catchphrase. Let's get out of here. Okay. Uh, just Even if you lost your week, just remember to stay calm and keep on keeping Carlson. Bye.